Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David Kieran Murphy and Ken Erdy here. Hello there, all. How are you guys? We started last Thursday's programme, Ken, if you remember, with an incendiary Phil Mickelson quote. So why not start this week? That was his, uh, well, we don't litigate against each other. So we're going to start this week with an incendiary Phil Mickelson tirade slash barrage. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is from the post radical press conference. You're all aware of it by now, but I think it's always nice to actually, just to play, just to really get into the mind of Phil Mickelson. Mm. Uh, these are very strange events, by the way. Uh, sorry, I'm going to cut across here. Thir- uh, I was at the 2006 Ryder Cup, and the post-match or the post-tournament press conference is completely nuts. It's, you've got 13 incredibly glum Americans they look sort of like sulky... And it is always Americans, yeah. Yeah, almost exclusively. They look like sulky teenagers who've been dragged on holidays with their parents and they've just gotten to the last day of it. Now they're totally grimmed out by the whole thing. Remember the Obama's daughters when they were in Ireland? Yeah. That slightly glazed look. That's what the American golfers look like. We're here Ireland. because we have to be here. <laughs> exactly. But I've given up even pretending that I want to be here. Well, that's what you're generally agreed with and they then have to answer a load of questions through gritted teeth about their defeat before getting out of there and flying home. What doesn't usually happen... It's the team's most high-profile player taking one of the legends of the game to task in so public a forum. And not that Mickelson directly names Tom Watson here in this critique. If you're being very generous, you mm. could say he's just talking about about a previous uh, captain Paul Azinger did very well in 2008. He was asked what exactly was so great about Azinger's captaincy. What did he do? One was he got everybody invested in the process. He got everybody invested in who um, they were going to play with who the picks were going to be, who was going to be in their pod, who, um, wh- when they would play, and they had uh, a great leader for each pod. In my case, uh, we had uh, Ray Floyd, and the f- we hung out together, and we were all invested in each other's play. And the other thing that, um, that Paul did really well was um, he had a great game plan for us, you know, how we were going to go about doing this. 
how we were going to go about playing together, what how, golf ball uh, format, what we were going to do if so and so's playing well, if so and so's not playing well. If, we had a we had a real game plan, and um, those two things uh, helped us bring out our our best golf. In summary, Paul Eisinger actually captained the team. Mm. He uh, yeah he decided to have a plan, uh, and you know some of the plan worked, and that was enough to win the Ryder Cup. Mm. Uh, now, in fairness, he was facing Nick Faldo, the worst captain possibly in the history of captaincy. Uh, I mean, DJ Spoonie, anyone? Um, but I mean, at the same time, I mean, it, 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 ever since then, they have been hearkening back to Azinger, and you know he, yeah, for whatever reason, he did, did seem unbelievably popular with his players. Ken, what is Mickelson talking about? I mean, what was so? What would have been so complicated about the American golfers trying to win some of their head-to-heads? Why? Wh- how? What? What is the captain meant to do? What is meant? Help bad golfers beat better golfers. He's meant to. In fairness, they came out even didn't they, in the singles yesterday, six on six, which I think is probably the part that has least to do with the captaincy. What the captain does have to do, and of course, the role can be. Somewhat overrated, but what they do have to do is pair guys together who will work well together. Mm. I mean, that, that's pr- pretty much, uh, besides the motivational side of things, that's pretty important. And Mickelson, Mickelson clearly feels that he possibly should have been paired with somebody on Saturday rather than just sitting it out all day. Uh, well, maybe he should have played better on Friday. I mean, you think you're not impressed by Mickelson here? No, I'm not. I'm not impressed by it because he knew all that before he came to the Ryder Cup. If he had a problem with it, why didn't he say something about it beforehand? Why didn't he say, no, to be honest, I'm not, I don't want to play in the Ryder Cup because I think we're badly prepared. I think the captain's made a mess of it. There hasn't been any of these. I haven't been schooled in a single pod. <laughs> you know? Not a pod to be seen. Me and, me and the, the, the other three guys were like peas in a pod last time. Nicely incubated together, growing together, learning each other's game, learning how to, you know. I mean, what's so complicated about having to play with another guy once in a while? Mm. It's not that not really that difficult. For golfers, it Nicholson's can be. For American a, golfers, it can be. a bit of an individualist, I think. And he went on a solo run uh, at the end because he, be, for feelings as far as I can make out of personal bitterness. Not because, you know, this is, he feels this is the way the United States should be doing things because if it was the way, maybe he could have said something beforehand. Maybe he could have said, no, you know what? I don't want to. But of course, that would have stopped him. That would have prevented him from playing in the tournament. If Phil Nicholson hadn't played in the foursomes on Friday evening but had played twice on Saturday, do you think, and lost both of those games, do you think he would have come out and said what he said yesterday? No, probably not. No, he was clearly annoyed with his captain for not picking him. Yeah. And maybe felt he had the status within the team that he could be public. There are murmurings that a few of the other players aren't too happy and that maybe it wasn't a great idea for uh, Tom Watson to tell them publicly that they had to get redemption for a couple of years ago when the guys in the team might have felt that they tried their hardest mm. a couple of years ago as well. Phil Mickelson playing the next Ryder Cup? Uh, I would say it's not as certain as... I mean, his game is probably good enough to get him there, but he played, He had a very bad year this year. Uh, if he... Yeah, he had a bad, a bad year this Phil year. Phil Nicholson, Ryder Cup captain? I would say his it's chances were not helped Fletcher, in the last Fletcher hours. Christian takes control of the bounty. <laughs> What's amazing about that clip is the... Go on. Mickelson, uh, I don't know. Would you want a, a man like that uh, captaining the team? No, it wasn't an unbelievable show of team spirit. Is a captain not meant to be a kind of a group-oriented man? Is Mickelson not more of a lone wolf type? Mm. You know, a sort of one um, of the outlier. Well, you see, he's not really. That's the way the way he's generally been presented uh, over the years. He's often defined in 
people like to define rivals as polar opposites. So where Tiger Woods has been seen as aloof and pretty unfriendly to most of the players over the years while he was winning, Mickelson was seen as one of the guys. Likes the Ryder Cup, likes team play, likes all those elements. So he actually wasn't seen as a as an individualist, particularly, in, I'm sure compared to the average team sportsman, he'd be very much an individualist, but he hadn't been seen that way, uh, maybe up until up until this. So the reaction there of Hunter Mahan was very interesting. He was the man sitting beside him, and that's who the cameras had picked out. I would have liked to have seen Tom Watson um, reacting, and maybe one or two of the other players, but Mahan was standing there, sitting there so uncomfortable because his name was dragged into it. Hmm. It's like, uh, yeah, part of what we did was this is in the longer kit. Part of what we did in 2008 was we got Mahan on the team, you know, and I see Hunter Mahan's, it was Mahan sitting beside him, wasn't it? Um, almost yeah, yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. yeah. And he's sitting there twiddling his thumbs, doing every awkward thing you do with your hands when you're in a situation of total discomfort. He was actually, he was, he at one stage, he started looking at the dirt underneath his fingernails. You know, when there's literally nothing else to do with your hands or face. Well, Hunter Mahan couldn't wait to get uh, get out into the clubhouse and take uh, photos of the um, semi-naked Ricky Fowler and, and uh, uh, Bubba Watson <laughs> wearing extremely short tartan kilt other skirts. I, I thought, mean, are, these, are these guys not going to you're completely monstered now. I would have thought so. Can you do that? I mean, you lose for the United States in the Ryder Cup pretty, I mean, you really, you thrashed out of sight. And half an hour later, you're cavorting in, in sort of tartan tea towels wrapped around your loins, uh, Bonnie Tyler wigs, clearly finding the whole thing absolutely hilarious. I mean, are the American, is the American golf community okay with that? I mean, I, I think to myself, what would have happened if, you know, say, after the England-Uruguay game, it had been Wilshire and Rooney uh, sort of scuttling around. Uh, wearing you know, women's wigs wearing and Ur- short skirts. Uruguay flags, uh, Uruguay <laughs> towels around their waists uh, and, uh, and having a laugh. I, I don't know if, if the English people, uh, you know, who, let's remember in the World Cup, had, had lowered their expectations. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have taken it that well. Paul Kimmage was at the press conference and is going to join us from Gunnigal so he can talk to us about the body language of the rest of Mayhan's teammates and also of the captain, uh, Malachy Clerken, is going to be in studio as well. Paul has done a lot uh, w- uh, with Paul McGinley over the last little while. He's been, at the, he's been chatting to him over at the Ryder Cup itself and he did a very good big interview with him about three weeks ago, I think it was, if you, uh, if you got a chance to read that one. So we will talk about the, the two captains, really, the McGinley side of things as well. Great photo on the front page of the Irish Times here, Ken, if you want to have a, have a look at it. If you can describe what you see here. Um, it's uh, a bunch of... They're men. Kilkenny players. Oh, Kilkenny players. So they seem to be boogieing. On a bus. Uh, on the on the top of an open top bus, uh, the word Dublin seems to be written on the bus, and uh, there's there's a big headed man, Henry Shefflin, uh, wearing a crown. That's King Henry Shefflin. Uh, he's got a very big head. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a mock this. Uh, uh, it's like uh, figurehead. Uh, Frank, it's not actually Frank Sidebottom. We mention him again. It's two <laughs> two days in a row. Uh, well, yeah, that well, that, yeah. well, it reminds me a bit of the uh, you know that that thing that was down in Limerick. The, the granny. granny, yeah. Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. What was that thing? It was just a large piece of. It was walking know, around in Limerick art. for days, yeah. and I, and people in Limerick were getting angry because it wasn't featured enough on your TV news. It was, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think you kind of had to be from Limerick to understand quite what was going on with that story. Yeah, I mean, I thought it. I thought it was quite impressive. I mean, it seemed to be kind of animatronic in some way. I saw it in different poses, mm. uh, and this anyway looks looks kind of similar. But what's the point? They're all they're well. Just just how hilarious the Kilkenny players find it. They're at the back of the bus, chanting back at this massive Henry Shefflin head. Yeah, 
I don't know. Are they? Do they find it ridiculous the way that he's wearing a crown? Is that what? They, are they very, uh, very? There was a Kilkenny supporter behind me who, after Sheffield got a uh, got a block in, he did something fairly innocuous, but had come off the bench and had made some sort of an impact. Um, the Kilkenny supporter behind me, I heard her say, "Wow, he really is the king." <laughs> Truly, you are my, the son of God. Myself and all were furiously nudging each other in the ribs, trying not to laugh out loud at this, uh, this rather hilarious reaction to which what was a pretty simple. Yeah, that's the thing. Henry Shepard's done a lot of things to yeah. uh, earn a lot of praise over the years, but it was to, quite uh, funny to earn the name the, the king. king. Well, I mean, he is officially a king. I yeah. mean, he has been uh, that has been bestowed upon him at some stage. I was interested, Murphy, in Lester Ryan going up to accept the trophy mm. and to do his speech because. Michael Fenley has talked about how difficult he found it in 09 was he captain when yeah. he wasn't playing very much and he, he really did it was this is this ridiculous old fashion fair play to Leicester Ryan and all the rest of it but it's this very strange traditional idea that you that the manager isn't allowed to pick a captain who is the most deserving guy you have to go with somebody from the county champions uh, who gets nominated to, for the position but you end up in scenarios as with Leicester Ryan, as with Michael Fenley, where they don't play very much. He came on towards the end this time. And then they have to go up and accept the trophy and possibly have to give a few team talks beforehand, whatever they might need to do. Fenley was very uncomfortable in that role. Yeah. He hadn't fully established himself as the herder that he ended up being. And he said, he just no matter what people said, he just was a bit awkward about it. Leicester Ryan went up and I, th- I actually thought he looked a little bit, he's not going to really get into this, but uh, we needn't have worried. No. Leicester went nice and crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean, did, it, it, it's a strange situation. I mean, Kerry had the exact same thing. Kieran O'Leary was the man who delivered the speech uh, yeah. after Kerry had won the football alert. So, I mean, it, the number of counties actually still doing this is dwindling and dwindling. And it's getting close now to just being the two most successful counties <laughs> because they have the, you know, the, the clubs have the most to lose from a situation like that where I don't want to be seen to have voted in this thing which removes oh, the, the chance very that next year then the your club next, wins yeah. their first county championship in 10 years and yeah, you don't and have a long serving county hero who's yet to be captain gets it taken away yeah, from him all of a sudden it seems a bit nonsensical when everything else is so well organised and so high and such a high standard that you get this but uh, I am kind of sounding like I'm, I'm yeah. having, honest, a, actually, having a go with Lester Ryan yeah. here after I mean, and, yeah, like, and he it, did come on that's, yeah he did like, and I think that was a big thing as well I'm sure for Lester if he'd come on you know, if he hadn't come on, then he might have felt a bit more uncomfortable. But he did contribute, so best of luck to we'll him. We'll talk to... Oh, yeah. Sorry. I, I, I don't think... I would say Brian Cody's happy enough with that. Eamon Fitzmaurice, I would say, would love to be able to pick his own captain, to be honest. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Fitzmaurice is in tune with what makes Kerry great, but he's also in tune with what Kerry needs to do to remain great. And that's just... Well, so Brian Cody, surely. I mean, he's kept him yeah, great so, for quite a long time. I, I, yeah, he's had less to do than Eamon Fitzmaurice in keeping Kilkenny up there, if you know what I mean. Um, and I think it's changed even in the last six or seven years. You know, and... But Cody has remained successful throughout that time, so maybe he's he's less to lose in that respect. We'll talk a little bit later on to Benny Dunn about the hurling and tomorrow. So Brian's going to be in the studio. Malachy Clerken is in here now and we'll get Paul, uh, Paul McGinley, I was about to say, we'll get Paul Kimmage to talk about Paul McGinley and, uh, and more specifically about Phil Mickelson and Tom Watson and everything that's going on there. Paul is at Glen Eagles. Malachy Clerken, you are very welcome. All right, Don. We'll start with what happened after the golf and that was Phil Mickelson. I think Paul used the, the, the phrase on Twitter, tr- throwing Tom Watson under the bus. What did you make of it? Yeah, I I found it. Uh, I certainly found it more uh, more engaging actually than the golf was yesterday. I mean, it was 
Um, the the singles were were pretty much done and dusted a good sort of two hours before the actual end of the golf. Yeah. I think it was pretty inevitable. But um, yeah, I've always been fascinated with Mickelson. Um, I, was, I remember being at, at the the Ryder Cup in in two thousand and two at the Belfry, um, and it was my first time ever being in that 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 press conference um, or situation where there are. 12 guys sitting behind a table and you know it, it it's always sort of interesting you know who kind of who kind of tends to stand out there you know what sort of banter there is between the players all that kind of stuff Mickelson I, I believe that was the year that, that Mickelson tried out a new driver um, and uh, you know took a lot of heat for it you mm. know just because you know this is there was always this idea that the Americans weren't tr- uh, taking the, the whole thing seriously and of course you know, by by trying out new clubs the week of the week of the thing, um, that that was a sign of it. And Mickelson sat there for a good. He hugged the press conference for a good seven or eight minutes, going through in the most minute sort of forensic detail um, why he would do this and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, that, that's just a bit of preamble by way of saying that that I always kind of enjoy watching Mickelson in press conferences because you know he never says anything by accident. He like if you go back to last Wednesday, there's no way he said uh, we don't litigate against each other by accident. That didn't just pop out. He all he's a very thoughtful guy, and I was wondering, especially when it came through yesterday uh, or on Saturday night, that he he had been texting back and forth with Watson, pleading to play on this Saturday. I was wondering. I, th- I was thinking something might happen here afterwards and it did Absolutely Paul Kimmage you were there to see it can you take us through it from, from how you how you witnessed it Well the first thing I noticed um, when they came into the room was how far Mickelson was sitting from Watson he was sitting as further as further away as he could from where Watson Watson was centre of the stage uh, Mickelson was way over on the left and it was free seating he had the choice to sit anywhere he wanted when he came in and he was forced into the room so that kind of sound, seemed a bit odd. Um, and then the question was asked, after about two or three questions, he was asked about the winning formula in Valhalla and what had gone wrong since. Mm. And uh, basically he um, he said he didn't understand why they'd, uh, they'd gone away from that formula and in the, in the process completely uh, undermined Watson's captaincy. Now, what, what you would have to say is this is a malaise... There's been a malaise in this American team from the moment they arrived. And it started with Watson's opening press conference when he used the word redemption and felt that the players who had played in Valhalla, in Valhalla needed to redeem themselves for that performance. Now, that would have gone down like a lead balloon in the American team room. Uh, and I know the Europeans were greatly amused by it and were hopeful, were hopeful that this would breed this malaise that was... Uh, Obvious in the in the American camp all week. What was Tom Watson's reaction as Phil Mickelson was speaking? Because this was something that wasn't necessarily p- picked up on by the cameras. Well, the reactions were: I was watching him, and he just had kind of had a vacant uh, stare on his face. Um, was clearly <laughs> taking it in. Um, some of the other reactions were more interesting. I think. Jim Furyk was seen to uh, murmur, oh shit, as, uh, really? as, 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 as Mickelson was talking. Keegan Bradley couldn't stop, couldn't stop laughing. 
and Patrick Reid had a look of astonishment on his face. Um, you know, it's it's you can question the timing of it. I mean, Europe have had some really bad captains. Nick Faldo didn't do a great job, um, uh, and you know there was you could argue was it was it their place, uh, was it Mickelson's place to criticise Watson. Uh, straight after the event, um, or would he have been better advised to to voice that criticism and then back to the states? Personally, I'm more for it. I you would do, it was, you, uh, yeah. I do, I do, yeah, I do, I do. You know, because while you could have some sympathy for Watson, it was very difficult. You, you know, five times on Saturday, on the Saturday evening press conference, he sat down, and five times he was asked about mistakes he he, he may have made or regrets he had, and five times he used the word maybe. You know, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe that's regret. Now, you either make a mistake or you have a regret. You don't maybe have one. And he has he's had this certainty about him all week. And it was uh, encapsulated by a text message that one of the players sent uh, back yesterday about Watson. And it was, although he's rarely right, he's never in doubt. <laughs> the, for... there, was an arrogance about, there was an arrogance about Tom uh, all week. And it comes back, in my view, basically to... To uh, something Paul McGinley said, you know, three weeks ago when I interviewed him, and he spoke about, you know, um, that process of electing the captains when uh, they were suggesting they needed someone big to stand up against Tom Watson, this uh, great figure of golf. Yeah. And Tom, and Paul said, look, there's no correlation between being a great player and being a great leader. You look at that, you look at it through through sports. It actually doesn't work, and this is a classic example of it didn't, didn't work. For uh, taking all that on board, Maliki, for a player in this case, Phil Mickelson, their most high-profile player, to essentially rip his captain who was sitting beside him or on the same uh, on the same stage, does that does, does is that fair enough? Do you think does it sit uneasily? Um, there, are, I guess there are two ways of looking at it. I, I mean, I, I think I'm I'm with Paul. I I admire him for it because it's very easy to wait three months sit down with Golf Digest or Sports Illustrated over a pre-Christmas beer and go, yeah, this is what happened at the Ryder Cup. It's very difficult, actually, when you think about it, to do it when the guy is sitting 15 feet away. But if Tom Watson had, had come out and said, look, Phil Mickelson let us down, didn't play well, was a terrible in the team room, bad, bad influence, everybody would say, well, you know, you can't do that. A coach can't, or a captain in this case, can't just... Uh, take on a player in public like that, where, but it's okay the other way around. I, the other side of it, though, is that that subtly over the weekend, Watson was kind of doing that. You know, it, every every couple of times that he, he, yes, Paul, sorry, you wanted to jump in. Wait, sorry, yeah, just on that on that issue, would you rather be stabbed in the front or in the back? <laughs> <laughs> but Watson did over the weekend continually kind of shift blame onto his players. You know. Uh, uh, he was asked. I, th- I think it was on the on the tee on Saturday morning. Where you out coached yesterday? And he said, "Well, we were outplayed." You mm-hmm. know, it's a, he sort of subtly was doing that anyway. And I think Paul's point is 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 very well made that there was an arrogance about Watson all the way through the process, and it it fed into. This is my sort of theory on why Europe keep winning this. Europe, even though they go into every one of them these days as favourites, always play as underdogs. They. You watch McGinley and the amount of angles that he covered, and and okay, he, the, there is an argument to be said that that he he made an awful lot over the week of how much 
preparation he had done and all of this. But the players constantly reinforced it. They were constantly on about, you know, the the amount of different things that they were doing to get this right. Whereas even even this is what eight times in in ten that uh, America haven't won, and they still don't seem to understand the sort of basics of this. They don't. They they this idea that. You know, the fact that Spieth and Reed didn't play on Friday afternoon after winning five and four uh, on uh, on Friday morning, like that's that's a no brainer. You get your your guys that are on a roll that are finished their match early. You stick them out in the afternoon. I mean, that, that is an absolute no brainer. Um, but, you know, the, the Watson saw um, Bradley and Mickelson struggle to the 18th, somehow get a win on Friday morning. And then lash them out again. Even though Mickelson spent the first five holes on Friday morning with a big coat on him and big gloves on him and clearly sort of not particularly enjoying the weather and all of that. And he's the oldest member of the team. It's just It just made no sense. Yeah, in the context of this tournament, you could argue certainly that Tom Watson got a, a deserved comeuppance. But over the course of his career, his lifetime in the sport, Paul, I'm just... You know, I'm kind of thinking that he would come into this thinking, well, it's a shot to nothing, really. You, you know, I'll do my best yeah, here. That's exactly, that's yeah. exactly where he came into it. He, yeah. he but but, but he, ends up getting, he, ends up, he ends a tournament getting embarrassed by his best player in front of the yeah. world's media. Why? And why does he get embarrassed? Because he turned up, he turned up in, in Glen Eagle two years after being appointed, slapped his hands together and said, OK, what are we going to do? But how are we going to win this? Yeah. Paul McGinley started working on this two years ago. Mm. You know, Tom Watson did, you know, I don't see any evidence that he did any preparation whatsoever for this. He turned up, being Tom Watson, this great figure of golf, this eight-time major winner, I'm Tom Watson, I'm going to tell these boys how to do it. And that was it. That was, that was, the, that was as much uh, preparation as he put into it. Because here's the bottom line, Owen, in my view. You switch those captains in America win the, win the Ryder Cup this weekend. You think so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what does this actually mean for McGinley? The, the interview you did with him a few weeks ago was uh, really interesting for a, a few reasons. And a couple of them were that I, I probably hadn't understood how how much the lack of success he had in GAA and the way his career ended there st- is still with him to a certain extent. And also he made a point, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, Paul, but you were talking to him about uh, how successful Harrington and Clark and these guys were in majors. And McGinley said something along the lines of that he that he himself maybe should have had more of a burning desire to win, that he didn't necessarily have that. Yeah, when, when hunger was the word he used. Hunger was yeah. the word that he used. It seems, yeah. I, am I maybe stretching a bit to say all of that was um, was in some way uh, fed into this weekend, which has been just an incredible, incredible few days, incredible two years, really, for Paul McGinley. Well, this is this is his major. This is the this is Paul McGinley's major, uh, and he always knew it. Um, and having having Tom Watson in the opposite corner up the scales, up the stakes from uh, hugely. But this was his major, uh, and he knew that, and that's why he worked so hard for it, and he took nothing for granted. And you know, I actually think. You listen to what his players said about him yesterday, and there's grounds for making the argument that he is not the best captain in Europe I've ever had, because that would definitely still be Tony Jacklin, and probably will be forevermore, uh, given what he did and the way he turned it around. But he's, he's, in my view, the second best captain they've had. Mm. And I don't think you'd find many people arguing against that. You made the point, Paul, that maybe at the start of the week he was a little bit deferential to Watson. Did that change over the course of the weekend? He he only shared a microphone once with Tom, and that was the opening uh, press, the captain's press conference on the Monday afternoon. That was the only time they actually sat side by side with a microphone talking about golf. 
talking about the Ryder Cup. And obviously they were on the same stage uh, for the opening and closing ceremonies. But in terms of being in the in a press conference together, that was the only time. And, you know, you're sitting beside an eight-time major winner. You're Paul McGinley. You've had some success on the European Tour, but nothing that comes close to what Watson has done. Plus, this is your, your hero that's sitting beside you here. So it's natural that you defer to him and it's natural that you feel a little bit overawed, and he was at that press conference. It is the only time. He came back in four times after that, um, and at each press conference, you would have said, right, he's, he's beaten Watson hands down, hands down in the, in the way he handled himself, in his answers, in his engagement with the press, in his understanding of what we were there, what we wanted, and what, what we were asking, what we were asking. If Colin Montgomery had been captaining the team, Maliki, as may have happened, do you think they would have won? I, I I have a feeling that they possibly might have. You know, I I can't listen to Montgomery on on, on the TV anymore. Um, and actually, I was watching it all day yesterday with um, the Ryder Cup radio on my phone, kind of talking away because I just I, I can't take him anymore. But um, say what we like about him, the man knew his Ryder Cup. He was an amazing yeah. Ryder Cup player, and his sort of his sort of grasp of the strategy. Like the strategy isn't overly complicated, but there is strategy to it. Um, and his team won. Uh, Langer was a fantastic captain, much in the mould of, of Paul McGinley, leaving leaving nothing to chance and and working out what what he's going to do with each player. Um, yeah, I, I I don't doubt that Montgomery's team could have won it. Yeah, but w- uh, we kind of have been hearing about this template at Valhalla that the Americans have moved away from. Yeah. Was that template? To ensure that Nick Faldo was the European captain? Is that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that, is that the template that Phil Mickelson was talking about? I or saw, is there something more to it than that? I saw somebody tweet over the weekend, uh, who knew that uh, Alex Ferguson would be a better motivational speaker than DJ Spoonie? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that, that kind of sums it up as well. So, I mean, you can get this drastically look, wrong. Look, we, we before every Ryder Cup, we say, ah, the captain things, well, does it really matter? And after every Ryder Cup, you look back and there are absolute decisions that have been made on one side or another that have had an effect. Well, I, I would have thought, Paul, that if nothing else, this will put pay to that idea that we referenced earlier, that you need a massive name as a captain. Maybe America might start looking at, I don't, I don't know who their Paul McGinley is, but maybe they'll start looking down that road. Or do they care enough? I mean, is this a tournament that ultimately is going to die off in the next 10 years? No, I don't. I, well, you know, there's no evidence that they didn't care at the weekend. I mean, you watch them play, you watch their play. And I'm interested in Maliki's disengagement from yesterday because there was, a, there was an hour yesterday that I, it was tight enough, you know, um, Paul sent out Gray McDowell to uh, to lead, and he was three down, and he played fantastically uh, mm. to come back from three down to win two up. And it was a kind of a you know not not squeaky bum time, but it wasn't uh, by no means a done deal for a while yesterday afternoon. Um, these guys don't like getting beaten. The Americans don't like getting beaten. Um, they they played hard. You know, why don't they bring back Azinger? I mean, if you look at what Azinger did, that's the closest to what Europe do, you know, in terms of his, his, his total engagement with it. The word Mickelson used was invested. He invested in them. There was an investment from the captain for their input. They had an investment into the team. Um, what, you know, they need to go back to that again. Sounds like you enjoyed your week there, Paul. It was fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yesterday was, was one of the best days. The, the press conference for me was, was the highlight of it. Just Just... Absolutely brilliant. Because in terms of the result of the Ryder Cup, yes, Europe won, and yeah, I, I can I would prefer it if America had won. The only reason I wanted Europe to win was Paul McGinley. He deserved it. Uh, 
um, and I would have been crushed for him. It would have been so unjust, given the work he'd put in, given the fantastic job he'd done with the players, had they lost. And that's a possibility. That was that was still a possibility. Yeah. Listen, we leave it there. Paul Cambridge, thanks so much for joining us after your weekend in Glen Eagles and your week there. Malachi, thanks a million for popping in. Cheers. Thanks, boys. Mm. You remember my grandmother, no disrespect, when I used to get in trouble, she looked at me and said, hmm. And I know a butt whooping was coming at the house. I'm an alien. Think about it. Roy Jones is born. James, James, James Tony is born. Iran Barkley is born. But I'm telling you right now, I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. I should have been on this game 15, maybe 20 years ago, man. And then that's why I said I'm an alien. I'm an alien. Tell me why I'm not. Explain why I'm here. I'm an alien. But I'm telling you right now. I'm an alien. Just Google it and get your information. I'm an alien. He should be gone. I'm an alien. Google it. I'm an alien. Mm. So both Malachi and Paul feel that maybe Tom Watson deserved it a little bit from Phil Mickelson. There's definitely no doubt that Watson didn't seem to put a whole, certainly didn't put as much effort as Paul McGinley did. Paul McGinley went on, um, took the biggest sacrifice in world sport on board for this one. Mm -hmm. He uh, went for, he borrowed Eddie Jordan's yacht to uh, wine and dine Victor Dubisson. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 uh, that's going pretty... above and beyond <laughs> yeah. the Call of Duty to get uh, VIP treatment at the Monaco Grand Prix and then wine and dine at one of your prospective stairs on an extremely expensive yacht. Paul did write very well in yesterday's Sunday Independent. management, Ken. About, about Dubison. Dubison on one side is being chased for months by friends. The, the basic, um, his personality, Dubison, you heard it a million times over the weekend. He's a bit different, this guy. He's a bit of a maverick. He's, you know, he plays by his own rules. Hmm. Kind of sounds like a bit of an asshole. I mean, yeah. that's that, That's what the subtext that's is there. That's speak for he's a bit of an asshole. So I noticed that the <laughs> other players are trying to really get him involved in the celebrations. And Paul was saying this went back for months that McGinley, well, he had that dinner with him at the yacht. Then he made sure that McDowell had been paired with him in a couple of tournaments so that they got to know each other a little bit. McDowell is probably the man for that role as well. Mm. He seems to be the nice, nice guy in the world. Uh, Dubisson himself was being chased for months by French journalists, Ken. Yeah. Eventually he agrees to talk after six months of saying, I have nothing to say to you. I was going to say scum. He didn't quite call them that. <laughs> I have nothing to say to you guys. And eventually, right, he's advised. You should probably just, yeah, just answer these guys' questions. It's not too hard. And he said, fine, fine. So he sits down with the journalist. He says, starts with, go ahead, ask your useless questions. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, you got to get, you want to get make the interviewer feel engaged, you know, loved. That's ask, what it's all about. Ask your useless questions. I mean, oh, it's enough. You know very he, special. Yeah. Did he give some very special answers? He didn't, but there seems to be... No, I wouldn't yeah. say he did. Mm. You know, Colin Montgomery was commentating on Sky, you know. And at one stage, you know, Dweezon has, like, long blonde hair oh. and a goatee. Questionable. It's, it's not a very good look, to be honest, you know. But, you know, it's it's something different. He thinks least, he's you know? asterisk or something. Yeah, but uh, Monty says, look at him there. He's just so cool, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he's cool. And uh, I was just thinking, God, if, if I could think of one person in the world that I wouldn't want to call me cool, it would be common. Monty. If I'm Monty's idea of cool, then I think I think you're in big I would, I would, trouble. I would love to hear Colin Montgomery even just say that word. But it's interesting that you say that being a maverick, you know, so so called. I mean, John McCain was a maverick. 
Period, famously. Yeah. Uh, we've we've known Mavericks, but that it's against the ethics of golf. It's it's no, considered it's, to be no. Like you said it's code for for um, you know being an asshole. No, no, it's just when people describe you as being a maverick. Not I mean, so much a maverick. A maverick. I, it was a maverick combined with being aloof. Uh, maybe it's the aloofness I'm thinking about, combined with being a bit different, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. that's uh, there's just there were there it's were not, enough there were enough little euphemisms used. I thought over the weekend on TV and elsewhere that I came to a conclusion that Doobie Son might be. I'm going to stop using it. Where I'm going to. Yeah, it's not it's as though golf is. Show. It's not as though golf is incredibly conservative and conformist, uh, uh, you know, or anything along no. those lines. But it, but I mean, if that is the case, and would would golf not be recoiling in horror at uh, at Phil Lucifer Mickelson? As he, you know, as he tears up this, the social contract between captain and player, uh, and throws it back in the face of poor old Tom Watson, yeah. who, Tom Watson, whose biggest mistake, as far as I can see, was to turn up at the Ryder Cup thinking that he had a bunch of the best golfers in America, and you know, maybe that would, um, yeah. maybe that would give them a no, chance. What, what what really freaks out America is uh, Richard Sherman pointing down the camera and slagging off another player who he's just totally dominated uh, on the field. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks cornerback. What they're much more willing to put up with is an extremely rich white man slagging off. Passive aggressively uh, (laughs) taking down his coach after the event. That's fine. That's no problem. Coming up in the Irish Times, second captains. Football podcast. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here, you shawny man? <laughs> well, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Spanish football, Owen, because we haven't really done that so far this season. The season beginning to take shape uh, over there, so there's a few things to, uh, to talk about. We're also going to discuss why does the Chelsea seem to be the only one of the bigger teams in the Premier League who haven't made a complete mess of the start of the season um, already kind of considerably clear things going really well for them but there's obviously a lot of games and uh, so on that we aren't talking about those, which we will be talking about nevertheless in between ourselves Wayne Rooney's uh, red card oh, Wayne Rooney I mean we'll be talking about that he's, yeah. apolo- he's apologised for it my dad was at the game oh yeah he oh yeah went to Old Trafford yeah he saw Bessel and Charlton back in uh, 67 and now he's seen yeah, Rooney Manchester. Rocco and, and now, uh, yeah. Blind now he's seen Wayne Rooney Booting someone up the air. What was his? Well, um, it's the first time he's been sent off at Old Trafford, I think, in the league, is it? Mm. Uh, well, uh, Dad was on the Stretford end. <laughs> right. I don't know how the hell he ended up on the Stretford end, but he was on the Stretford end, uh, surrounded by lunatics. Yeah. They didn't stop shouting and roaring the whole day. <laughs> uh, but uh, had a great time. Had a great time. But I do have news on a topic that we were discussing just last week. Oh, yeah. um, got a text message from my brother. My brother went over with him as well at uh, half eight on Friday on Saturday morning and uh, he said in Knock Airport with Dad he's wearing jeans oh and we were talking about it. I may have said last week that my father has never in all of his years ever worn a pair of jeans wow was he listening to, to did he find that as a challenge the casuals in the Stratford End yeah I know I, 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 how do you dress for the Stratford End you know jeans jeans, <laughs> jeans is the way to go amazing <laughs> Very good. Uh, we we will talk about uh, him. I mean, I, I it's it's amazing. I mean, you you've seen the games that he misses. Everton, obviously, a big game for him. Although one that he often doesn't play that well in. 
Uh, although this is the one at Old Trafford rather than Goodison, which which is usually a better game for Rooney. Everton, West Brom, who are on a bit of a roll at the moment, uh, possibly with the form teams in the division suddenly, and Chelsea. So he doesn't play again until November. That will be the Manchester derby. He will return to the team. Slightly unfit. He's never fully sharp when he gets back. Absolutely. And there's two possible situations. One is that Manchester United have done really well in his absence, in which case maybe he won't be back in the team. Or at least you have plenty of fans saying, why put him back in when we've just beaten, you know, Everton, West Brom and Chelsea? And the other alternative is that they haven't really done that well. And... He's missed a really crucial part of the season, which is uh, which has resulted in Manchester United maybe already falling out of the Champions League uh, Champions League contention. So either way, this is really not good for him. Let's talk about Kenny's All Ireland hurling title, All Ireland hurling final victory. Uh, Benny Dunn is going to be on the line with us. Morris O'Brien is in studio. Morris, thanks for joining us. How you doing, on? I. Uh, the general consensus is that, that well, we said at the start of the season, early on the season, if Kilkenny managed to pull this around and win it, it is Cody's greatest ever triumph. A lot of people are saying now that is the case. Is that just the immediate post-match, post-victory talk? Or would you gen- do you think in 10 years' time we look back and this will be the one that people talk about? Yeah, I think certainly this will be, whether it'll be the one or it'll certainly be up there because it's conceivably, it's not his greatest team. You know, it's probably a couple of notches down from what they were at their very peak. And to think that he could make so many changes throughout the season and continue that through and even All-Ireland final replay day to make three changes from the first drawn match and two of them to be in your half-back line and to still come out on top and, and convincingly probably come out on top to, to, and the replay. I think it's definitely up there. He's greatest. I've been interested in a lot of the post-match reaction from Cody and from the players. A lot of them have referenced their critics. Uh, this is the oldest GA motivational trick in the book, but... You would have thought that maybe Kilkenny will be bulletproof in in that sense or feel bulletproof, but it seems that like they genuinely did feel a sense of grievance this year. Yeah, you, you, I suppose it's a hard one to to say. Like you know, they have so much success, like it's how, how they take on board criticism. Like is they're not used to it in a way, I suppose. Whereas other teams are very used to getting that criticism year in year out. Whereas Kilkenny, I suppose, media are probably looking at them and saying they're the benchmark. They're the benchmark. Whereas this year it was kind of different. Just, they're kind of up there to be taken down and everyone's kind of having a go at them. Last year, they were, it's it's a finished team, it's a finished team. And this year, it was really, you could see in all their interviews, they were like, well, we're not a finished team, we're still here. And I was looking at the homecoming there last night, it's like, we've won the minor, we've won the league, we've won the Welsh Cup, um, we've won the Leinster Championship, we've won the All-Ireland. And it's like, are we in transition? Like, I was like well, obviously not. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, but it, it does kind of, it's just strange, you know, and you you read sports books to try, or uh, sports autobiographies to try and find out what makes a guy great or what makes a team great. And, you know, it's, it's you're kind of looking for something a little sexier, a little more exciting than, you know, the fact that uh, the critics said that Kilkenny were no longer the team to beat. I mean, at the start of the year, they were the bookies' favourites. You know, I mean, if you go back through all of the predictions, I'm sure there's... 30 or 40% of people at least predicting Kilkenny at the start of the year all of the papers on Saturday went for Kilkenny to win the game you know it's, it's kind of strange that that they could go so full on with this and it was obviously mentioned because of just the sheer number of players and the fact that Cody came out and said it as well that it was a huge motivating factor for them yeah cer- certainly was Like, uh, and I found it strange to hear them saying that actually like because uh, it's not really a thing that you associate with them to get motivational that way but um, yeah, it obviously was something that really did kind of 
had, had, had a little hurtling because I suppose we were questioning them all year and uh, they've really proved us all wrong now. It's funny though, uh, Benny Dunn is with us on the line. Benny, uh, whatever about their defence being questioned and the pace of their defence, which Cody alluded to, uh, I guess that's fair enough because that was the case. But they, the, it seems as though they feel that their desire has been questioned this year and their spirit, which maybe it has been. I might have missed that side of it. Uh, are you surprised by how by their post-match reaction? Um, not really, on because I suppose to win in All Ireland at this level, you'd grab onto anything to gain an advantage. And I was listening to Brian Cody's interview in Nolan Park yesterday, and he was definitely, I would say, genuinely hurt with the way the press looked at the the draw in All Ireland, and felt that I suppose was looking at that Kilkenny were nearly lucky to get a draw in the first All Ireland. I think they were genuinely hurt by that because he felt that they actually played well. I played very well in the first match and I suppose the media and the press looked at it differently in terms of it was nearly Tips lost that All-Ireland because I suppose Tip, I suppose the media felt that Tip were superior on the day and I think, listen to Cody yesterday, I think he used that to kind of uh, get a bit of momentum and, and, and get a bit of heart going in the dressing room for, for the replay. And he made three changes like from a tip point of view, we came with the same thing um, as we did in the drawn game, which was, I suppose, from our point of view, in hindsight, what was not the right thing to do. He made his three changes. The three changes worked, and hence they're all Ireland champions now. Yeah, 46 hooks, blocks and tackles helped. Chris O'Connor has put that tweet out there. He says that he hasn't seen anything like that. Would you be disappointed from a tip point of view that their numbers weren't up there also that that's one area of the game where you would think that it, there's no reason why one team can't match the others yeah Kilkenny were phenomenal from that point of view on I mean like I'd say it must have been a record number of hooks and blocks and, and uh, you know for that All-Ireland and, and like I think it was a thing that Kilkenny brought that intensity to it and Tip weren't actually let and I don't think it was through no fault of Tip I think just Kilkenny brought that massive uh, you know, intensity, and it brought it from the very throw-in. If you look at the replay again, I mean, from the very throw-in, they had, I think, three blocks in the first uh, 35 seconds of the game, and that was phenomenal, and that really set the tone for Kilkenny. From our point of view, I don't think we were let. I think Kilkenny led the stakes in that regard, and I, I think Gamer will be probably a small bit disappointed, but, I mean, our, our backline didn't play all that bad. I thought our backline played well as well, um, but Kilkenny just, you know, they just had that extra bit of aggression and they closed down our forward line. I think that's where it was one for them right across kind of one to number seven, you know. If you're playing at this level though, Benny, as a tip, any player in the tip team, and they talked about this idea that they weren't able to impose themselves on this one, that Kilkenny were the team who set the terms. You've alluded to it there that it was impossible for, for tip to reply to that really but at the level that they're playing at should you not expect a little bit more from the players that okay they're confronted with this new Kilkenny this week and they really have to find a way and yet they didn't do that well Kilkenny you know that's what see the thing with Kilkenny is you know what you get every day they go out you get 150% of an honest effort they brought that to the table again on, on Saturday evening and more and like I think the changes that he made the, the, the likes of Kieran Joyce coming in at centre back really really drove it on I mean Killian Buckley was outstanding again um, look they were superb and, and they just did, did like I thought going in at half time I felt Tip were in you know in a good position we were playing quite well we looked dangerous up front as well but from actually the throw in once the second half started they really know the threat of our forward line and that's that's where I feel it was won and lost Yeah I mean th- that's the sector of the game Morris really wasn't it They've 10 minutes after the second uh, at the start of the second half that changed the game irrevocably in Kilkenny's favour 
Yeah, no, without a doubt, they really took over in that section and Tip kind of were in a, a false sense, you know, it never really got going at the start of the second half. And I suppose the change that I suppose I found really typified that was was moving Colin Fennelly into the edge of the square and he really started the second half unbelievably well, you know. Got two points straight away, set the tone and then Richie Power really came into the game as well. Like So their, their full forward line really pushed him over the edge. Am uh, I wrong to period. expect a bit more from Tip there though in that early stage? Everyone at the ground was expecting and watching on TV was expecting that from Kilkenny and it seems like Tip maybe weren't. What do you think about that? That it was, it was maybe there was a bit more Tip could have done. Yeah, without a doubt. And they should have learned from the replay because Kilkenny did the very same. They came out of the blocks in the start of the second half on fire the last day as well. And they did the same in the in the replay. And, you know, the first day TJ Reid got a goal straight away and this time Colin Fenley got a point straight away, you know, and they really took took the fight to them, you know, and nearly won the game in that period as they did the first day, you know. So Tip should have been should have been more clued into that and should have been targeting that period of 10 minutes as a, as a period where... No, we don't let Tip get or let Kenny get ahead of us in this period like they did the first day. I think what happened there as well, guys, was that Conor Fogarty and Michael Fenley were playing very defensive on Saturday evening as well in terms of dropping back into their back. And I'd say Conor Fogarty must have had three hooks and blocks himself uh, within the 70 minutes. Mick Fenley was the same. They were dropping back and... I suppose Kilkenny were almost playing with, you could say, nearly eight backs in the second half. And, and that really, like, Tip... Tip fours didn't have a, have space to breathe, let alone get a strike in. And, uh, you know, by them dropping back into the back line as well, it opened up the space in their forward line. And like Fenley and, and the likes of Porrick Walsh really stormed into it in the second half. And they were putting, they were able to almost place the ball into Colin Fenley, who uh, Morris has said went in on the edge of the square in the second half. And he had, he had the whole run of that, uh, you know, that inside line in the second half. He got three points from play. James Barry, I suppose, was exposed in terms of, of trying to mark Colin Fenley. But I mean, by the two midfielders dropping back, uh, they were getting their hooks and blocks in. They turned the ball over and they were able to place the ball into space. Where I suppose Colin Fenley, you know, as you rightly say, got three from playing was was outstanding in the second half. And like if you even take John Power, I suppose who was who was quite initially, um, you know, I was just watching the replay again last night where uh, it was Mick Fenley actually turned over the ball in the tip half forward line. Uh, the ball broke. Uh, John Power came onto it and it was just a pure flick he came onto it um, you know he jostled Brendan Mara out of the way and, and over his mm-hmm. left shoulder put the ball over the bar and that was just typical of what happened in the second half the last end and, and Tip just didn't have the answers for it Brian Co- I thought you wanted to come in there Murph. Brian Cody Morris uh, after the game also was asked about this idea that last year hurling had changed irrevocably and it was a, a new game, younger, faster players, all this kind of stuff. He said, I was amused at the time, to be honest. I've seen it before. I've heard it before. And people get excited when they see something. It was as if people never scored goals before or as if people never hurled before. Now, this is something in fairness that he did say. We, we've referenced the interview he did with Keith Duggan. Uh, in January, in I think. In January. Is, yeah. And his, the quotes are almost identical. He was, he was prepared to say that even back then. Look, this has happened a few times and you're reading that you're thinking, well, yeah, but maybe this is the time that the game has moved in a direction away from Kilkenny. But uh, I guess the proof is in the uh, the 10th iron victory for Brian Cody on that one. Brian Cody is correct again here. Brian Cody is correct again, yeah, as always. But no, it, like, the game is constantly evolving and that's not to say that Kilkenny are being left behind. They're constantly evolving as well. Like mm-hmm. it, Their style of play... Uh, they they know the style of play that suits them best and yeah. Clare know the style of play that suits the, their players best. I mean, it's not that the game as a whole 
has to change. It's just that no. there are different ways of playing it. There's just different ways of playing it. And, and, on a, and on a given year and on a given day, Brian Cody can adapt his style of play. Like, I know they, they don't go away from their philosophy of you know, of what they normally do and the high work rate and all, but they do adapt their play to, to... Like, they did it years ago when Cork were on top of his running game. Like, Kilkenny changed the template of hurling by, by bringing in this real physical game and, and, and stopping it at source, you know. And now, like Tipperary got on top there two years ago as well, with, with their kind of moving, roving forwards, and Kilkenny kind of like the first day they went out against them, they went man to man, they got dragged all over the place, and you know, and they changed their way again, they set back in and, and bring them back to two midfielders now, you know, so they're constantly evolving, and every time somebody comes up and somebody new comes up and invents something new, Cody kind of you know, it's, it's not as if he's playing the same hurling as he was in 2006 you know they're constantly evolving to, to every new scenario that they're coming and they just have the real the top players they look, they're, the top, they're the top team in the country they're the top players so they can adapt to any type of game Morris I know it's a, always a very personal uh, decision for a player and whether or not to retire and I don't even know how many people they discuss it with maybe it's just something that has to come from within so uh, it's not as though we can decide when Shefflin finishes but then all Ireland's in the bag uh, more of a bit part role this year but still very much involved in the final does that sound like a good signing off point yeah sounds fantastic doesn't it um, yeah look, retire right? after the 10 you know I mean I'm not an ambitious man you know I would say if, if I won 10 irons I'd probably say you know I've probably got my fair share genuinely though the guy has had so many injuries over the last few years and has still come back and has got the 10th the, the reason he has 10 is because he has a burning desire possibly more than, than a lot of other players do is there a possibility we could see him again next year? I think there is a possibility you could see him again next year you know he, he, like he's not going to make a rash decision you were kind of wondering is he going to say something there after the match yesterday yeah. finally and, will that question work out and get a, an answer <laughs> get, get the answer you know? yeah. 379 asking for it but um, no look he'll make his own decision in his own time but look what a phenomenal player to come back 35 years of age look he, he wasn't at his best obviously this year and it's, how could you expect him to be at his best all the injuries 35 like 10 all Ireland's like like he, he'll go down as the, the greatest ever like you know up, up there with anybody you know and fantastic to see him get the tent yesterday Benny what do you think any chance he'll be back next year? Um, I don't think so on and I suppose I think Henry is 36 this week or in the next couple of weeks he's won, he's won his fair share it's fair to say and um you know, he's had his injuries as well. I think listen to his interview with Claire McNamara uh, yesterday evening, it sounds like, you know, he'll play out the club season this year and he'll make a decision then. But kind of reading between the lines, I reckon he'll probably call it a day. I think he's a book out at the end of the year as well. And I can see him kind of calling it a day. And uh, like sometimes, you know, you know yourself when the time is right to go and he'll probably feel himself um, after winning the magical number 10 that it, it's probably time to go and, and, and leave it to the rest of the crew. And, like he's left, uh, he's left the panel. Or if he does leave the panel, they're in, they're in great shape. They've great young players coming through, and there's a couple of more guys queuing up behind him to to hit number eight, nine, and ten as well. So, um, look, you never know. But reading between the lines, I think he'll he'll, he'll possibly call it a day. Yeah, well, I think JJ Delaney is what on nine. Um, on although nine, although yeah. the way he was cramped up at the end of the game, Murphy might. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he was looking. He was looking his age. He was more than a little, yeah. He he ran down the steps of the Hogan stand and then immediately collapsed into a heap <laughs> with crab and had to be carried over to the, the lap of honour. But there wasn't you know, much wrong with him when he was chasing uh, yeah. Shane Callan for that book. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, true. yeah, Benny, sorry, you want to come back in? Yeah, no, honourable mention for that. I mean, it was it's possibly the best piece of defending that, that I ever saw in terms of the hook he got in on, on Callan. And I know the pace that Callan has. Um, and you feel when he got through that time that Callan had, had had him shrugged off, but JJ pegged him back. And I mean, it was it wasn't just a hook; it was a diving hook. And I mean, what an unbelievable piece of defending! And and, and like JJ Delaney for me, 
the best defender in the last in the last ten years. He, that was just an outstanding piece of uh, piece of play. Lads, we leave it there, Benny and Morris. Thanks, thanks very much for today and for all your help through yeah. the championship. Cheers, thanks very much, John. Thanks, lads. Andrew, that's the question that's going to be asked answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight no I think Hawk have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups massive boo-boo tonight 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 Just to go back to the fuel that they kind of used this year. It was interesting that they, the way that the boys phrased it there, and Benny in particular, was that it was maybe not so much the criticism all year, but the criticism, the interpretation of the drawn final. That didn't seem, that seemed to rub Kilkenny up the wrong way, which is maybe bad news for Tip. And if teams are in similar situations in a couple of years' time, then maybe they'll, they'll dread Kilkenny being in any way written off, even though I don't think, as you say, if I don't think they were written off at all. Also, Cody, I don't, I don't know why he took this tack after the match. What, he, he's talking about the critics. He's having a massive goal down at the ref from the first game, Barry Kelly, over the decision to give uh, a free, the free, uh, which was controversial, but was ultimately missed by John O'Dwyer. He wasn't prepared to let that one go. And I couldn't it, believe that, yeah. to be honest. I just... I have no idea why you would want to bring that up after you've won the replay. Convincingly answered all the... Like, if you think that you've been criticised... Uh, from inside, outside, the whole lot. I mean, if, if you're taking all that, all that on board, you should just be able to sit back in your seat and say, right, what do you make of that? Particularly when it's a comment he's making about game the, three the previous ago. match. Yeah, it was, it's not just heat of the moment after a final or oh, something has just happened and you're yeah. speaking about Stewing it. Stewing on it for yeah. three weeks and then deciding to bring it up. To be honest, I just... I, I, I fail to see the logic in that. I fail to see the reason. It's not logical, though, is it? It's not... It's not I mean, it's it's emotional. I mean, he's he's obviously got a real... I mean, this is this guy is a serial winner to mm. a, to an almost ridiculous extent, and <laughs> such, such people don't always have a completely rational. Alex uh, Ferguson view might be a, no. a fair comparison. Sometimes they there's, come out with stuff and you're there's, thinking. Why? There's often a lot of quite um, you know negative emotion, which is powering some of this this kind of urge to dominate. Yeah, and um, I think I think that that's absolutely fine. But I mean, I I don't know why you'd want to bring an individual who made a mistake in your opinion. Like that, and that's all it is. I mean, there are many people who'd say that it was a free to Kilkenny, um, or or at least that it it wasn't free either way. So to bring up an individual from three weeks ago who made a mistake, I mean, sure, if that's what drives you, that's what drives you. But it's not. I I just I don't see the logic in it. Well, we're going to wrap up pretty soon, but there was so much more happening. It was the busiest weekend of sport in quite a while. Ken, you wanted to mention the Conor McGregor victory. Mm. You were underwhelmed by it. Well, I don't know how anyone could be whelmed by it. It was. It, it was ridiculous. I mean, the the, the fight was a non-event, you know. Um, uh, and I mean, I saw the the previous fight, uh, the one in Dublin, which was also a little underwhelming. I mean, as a spectacle, you know. Not, I mean, it was a little more drawn out than than the one last night, as far as I can recall. But you know, it seemed as though, with a, with obviously a great deal of uh, hype going into the bout. Uh, an extremely disappointing. Well, it's the analysis spectacle. afterwards. Uh, the the point is that this fight has happened. It's been, as you say, <laughs> probably quite underwhelming. But yet, you notice that the the commentators didn't even it didn't even dawn on them necessarily. No. To well, you know, you got you got these commentators who were talking about, it, and then this thing happens. And look, we've all seen combat sports. You know, whether it be boxing, whether it be whatever. 
And you know what's a good fight and what's not a good fight. Mm. You know, there are some fights which are which which are incredible. Mm. You know, you get to, and most fights are not like that. And sometimes then you get a fight which is just a is a non-event. And sometimes you get a fight where everyone is suddenly standing up in the seats, screaming, holding up their betting slips, and screaming for blood. You know, you get those kind of fights too. Uh, now this, you know, you could see that there was, I mean, at first I thought Conor McGregor had knocked him down with the power of positive thinking. But, you know, I, I saw it. Uh, there was a sort of, a, there was a kind of a glancing blow. The guy, you know, went down. I thought, he can't be serious. He can't go down with a punch like that, surely. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I think um, what I see a lot of on, on, the, on the, the MMA or UFC fans, um, they use the phrase, educate, you need to educate yourself. You need to educate yourself. So I think I'm, I have an uneducated uh, perspective on this. You know, the, in the educated perspective, look, a glancing blow can knock a guy down, you know? Mm. Even if it doesn't look like there was much force in the punch, sometimes that can be. Uh, and there is an argument that, okay, if the guy is down, he can't, because it, it's different from boxing, where if you're down, you get a count, you know? Whereas in this, uh, the guy can go and, and, and finish you off. Mm. You know, and so if you can't defend yourself, well, then the referee, the referee stopped it, which is which is what happened. But you know, I just um, the, you hear the commentators now just oh, Conor McGregor is a bit, you know, a big star now. He's a, you know, he's really right. Wow, wow. You know, and you're saying, well, this that's not a wow. You know, that's a oh no, Poirier. When this is the other guy, when he looks back at this, is not going to be. I thought, where's the, the where's the relation to reality here? Right, okay. And then it goes on, and, and McGregor, who's obviously an extremely talented showman, mm. um, is doing his interview, uh, and the the guy interviewing in the ring is is sounding to me quite like the the commentators, you know, the, who've been going on about Ireland and how everyone back home is is up watching this fight. You know what I mean? The guy almost seemed to be on the same sort of script as them, you know, as though well, we, here we are heralding the birth of a new star, even though. In reality, we hadn't seen anything. We hadn't really... That's part of the business of the... Uh, and we've talked about the, the business model they have, that the, everybody involved in it is trying to promote it, really. You know, and in a maybe less organised way, that's the same in other in some other sports. If you look at Butch Harmon, yeah. as, as I tweeted yesterday, Europe could win 28-0 in the Ryder Cup and Butch Harmon would still be talking about how great it is. Uh, the... the People involved in particular sports in the media do sometimes oversell those sports, yeah. but in the UFC it seems particularly prominent because it's such a such a well structured business that it that it it promotes itself so well. But it seems to be, but it just much, can't allow a bad fight. That's, yeah, that's the problem. And then and sports fans, as you're saying, are smart enough to know when something hasn't lived up to all the hype. And well, the you know, it seemed to me some people were were pretty insisting that it had. Yeah. In fact, the emperor's clothes were magnificent. Yeah. You know, I've never seen such an amazing. Uh, but it does damage the credibility of anything. You know, when you when you hear Sky talking on Friday morning about how brilliant the opening four balls were, when it was just blatantly obvious no one was making any birdies and the golf was terrible, mm. believe in your sport enough to say, well, this was bad. Well, that wasn't but I think, great. But I think, I think the next session will be better and yeah. that's also going to be live on our uh, uh, broadcasting uh, company. Exactly. Like, just... It, because to do otherwise is just to insult yeah. the viewers. You know, well, we we got to sit through fights like that, you know, in order that yeah. when the good ones, when they come along, <laughs> that they're, they're really exciting. Because, you know, I mean, I know McGregor talks a lot about positive thinking and so on. I think I've got a lot of negative psychic energy. So maybe it will be, you know, this kind of thinking is, is unwelcome. But, you know, I do think we need to accept uh, the existence of negative psychic energy in the universe is the, is the point I'd like to talk Murph, about. Murph, <laughs> the ladies football final. The come you were whelmed by this. I was more than whelmed because uh, Dublin led two ten to six points against a Cork team 
And it's similar in some ways to the Kilkenny hurling team in that people are just waiting for this reign of never-ending dominance to end. So it looked like Dublin had lanced the boil, 210 to six points up, and then a uh, couple of points. Uh, Ronan Ibukula got a goal for Cork to bring it back to within three points, and then literally I was watching it going, there's, there's no chance Dublin are going to win. There's just no chance Dublin are going to win this game. And uh, that's pretty much how it proved um, because Cork just just mullered them in the last like five minutes it was just <laughs> it was it was it, it was grimly fascinating is yeah. how I would describe it in that they just basically got a hold of the game and just joked the life out of it great use of the word mullered there well thank you I know I hadn't heard it I hadn't heard it myself it just popped in there and I lads was overwhelmed by the performance this weekend in the NFL Ken National Football League mm. of our big guest from last Thursday Tampa Bay Buccaneers kicker Patrick Murray remember this guy yeah. Pat Murray talked to him last Thursday he is a Monaghan well his dad is from Monaghan his uncle played yeah. for Monaghan in their glory years he went back to Clonus every summer and practiced a lot of kicking in the field in St. Ternix Park there is now in the NFL in his first season the only problem um, is that so far his team have been awful Tampa Bay Buccaneers have lost zero, had lost zero from three, but we got a lot of people tweeting us to let us know what was developing in the game last night against away to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Massive shock victory, come from behind, helped by two field goals by young Pat Murray, including a 50-yarder, uh, which made one of his field goals was described as rather an ugly effort, but mm. it, it went over. Some of Ron O'Gara's finest drop goals didn't look the prettiest, yeah. but it got over the bar, so well done to Pat Murray. And to can I tell you something? That's the sort of positive mental attitude yeah. you've got to show in the National Football League. Oh. And can I say to the Buccaneers, PR Department, if you're listening, you're welcome. If you want to send us yep. your quarterback and a couple of wide receivers, we could win no you the deal. Super Bowl this yeah. year. It's not a big deal. Thanks very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran, and thank you, all. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much for listening, and do check out the football podcast, Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. We'll chat to you then. Bye. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.